Right, now I get to stay up here for a little while, so uh, thank you, John. And first thing we're going to do is pray, then we're going to read God's word, and um, let's see what he has for us tonight. So, Lord, we just, uh, we just thank you for this night. Um, we thank you that you provide this time, this space, and all of these servants, and Lord, the worship, all the technology, Lord, and even every soul who's come to sit in this room to hear about your word. Lord, we are just in awe of just how good you are, Lord, and really just what you've done in so many lives. So tonight, I pray that you would just speak through me, Lord, that you would um, give me grace that I need as I handle your word, and Lord, that you would open ears, open hearts, open minds, Lord, and speak specifically to even one person that may be sitting here tonight. So Lord, we love you, we thank you, we need you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've had uh, Pastor Pastor Ray, we've had Pastor Rob, we've had Rico, and then you guys get the sea level night, you get me. So um, I'm going to read through all of First uh, Peter, we've been going through First Peter, and I'm going to spend a minute talking um, about First Peter, but what I want to do is read the entire chapter, and then we're going to kind of revisit it a little by little by little. So First Peter chapter 4, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominations, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it, to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever. Amen. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for the judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. There's a lot there, right? Don't need these anymore. Now I can look up. And uh, 
there's a lot there, man. But before I start talking about the actual verses in the chapter, I want to talk about Peter, right? And I titled this message, What Do We Do Now? One day, Peter became a Christian, right? He became a follower of Christ. What did he do, right? He instantly was uh, fluent in Greek, right? He knew all of scripture. No, right? That's not, that's not the truth. He had a path ahead of him. I'm going to read a quote as to who this man is. This is a rock-like man who writes thus, whose soul rests on a rock foundation and who with his mighty testimony undertakes to fortify the souls of others against the pressure of the storms of suffering advanced upon them on a true rock basis. It's a quote from the early 1800s. That's a pretty powerful man right there, right? So they're talking about a man who has grown into the Peter that wrote this book. He's about two years from his own death. He's in Rome. We're going to talk a little bit about what's happening around him, but this is a man who, if we rewind a little bit, he had, he had some moments where he stumbled, right? Like, this is not a guy who immediately became a super Christian. This is a man who, he might have think, let his Savior down. He walked away from him, right? This is a man who, in Acts 12, grew more. When you read in Acts 12, he went from the guy who was denying Jesus, who was running, to the man who was sitting in jail, tied to guards, asleep. Right? So he matured throughout his walk, throughout his life. I, I say this stuff because we should remember who this person is that's, that God is speaking to us through. And what I love about it is it should remind us, we're going to talk a little bit later about how unique each one of us are and, and God's purpose for us. But what I love, I'm going to use a big Greek word and say it wrong. It's hapax uh, legomena. That's the last time I have to say it. That word, that's a Greek word for something said once. And what's unique to me as I read 1 Peter is Peter says has words that are in the Bible only in his words 60 times. He's the only, he, he has unique words used in the Bible 60 times in 1 Peter and 24 times in 2 Peter. Right? So he's not coming across as like, hey, I'm, I'm educated and schooled. He's speaking to us. It reminds me, and I'm, I'm looking at Rob, so Rob, I'm going to use you as an example. If I say a lot of people are here, someone might say, yeah, they, yes, they are. Rob would be like, yeah, they are, right? I would know that was Rob that said it because he said, yeah, they are, right? So Peter's saying in his own way, these are, these are my words. This is his experience, and he's bringing to the table. He's the one speaking to us. He's being exactly who God made him to be. And in fact, to write this, if you jump ahead, and Pastor Robert's going to um, speak about this next week, but in chapter 5, verse 12 says, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. What that means is he wasn't fluent in Greek. He wasn't able to necessarily write out, so he had Sylvanus help him. Right, So it's his words, but written by someone else. He's unique. This is, this is exactly the Peter that we've you know, read about in the Bible. And he's sending this out. We heard this, when I believe, when Pastor Ray spoke, to the dispersion, to a people who are now amongst a pagan society. But they're sojourners now. They realize they no longer belong, like we no longer belong. They realized Peter was speaking to them. 
not as people who belonged in their pagan society anymore. And the last thing I have for that is that he's being honest with us. He's not holding back. We're going to talk about suffering. And you're going to notice that we're going to look back to some of the previous chapters. Peter talks about suffering a lot in 1 Peter. But there's, that's with purpose. So then let's get into the first chapter, to the first verse. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The first thing, the therefore. This is my first time up here teaching. I know anything. The therefore, we ask, what's it there for? It's there for a reminder. If you call back to the previous chapter, Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That therefore is to remind us, we have an example that we are to be focused on as we read this, right? When we think about suffering, for Christ suffered, we're going to cover that a little bit more. He suffered in the flesh. He came here to suffer in the flesh for us. Our response is it says, arm yourselves. I don't know what that means to you, but when I read arm yourselves, it doesn't mean, well, I guess I can take this lightly and kind of think about it once in a while. That sounds not passive. That's actionable. Arm yourselves with, with what? With God's word, right? Be in fellowship. Be equipped as Christians. So if, if, if God's word tells me arm myself, I, I should be prepared for something, right? And remember who's saying it. Peter's saying it. He also says, be of the same mind. And if anyone has, if you went on the other side of that wall, the, the scripture verse for broken loaves is Philippians 2, 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And if we think about that, what was his mind? Jesus' mind was to do the Father's will. Right? Not to do his own. He didn't come here seeking his own. His mind was to do the Father's will and suffer willingly. This is telling us, well, also, have the same mind. That's a little bit much for us to digest, maybe, but it's what God's word is telling us. His example is love. He suffered for love. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When we think about suffering in the flesh, if anybody was in the, um, the fall home groups and, and to the leaders, we covered fasting for a couple of weeks, right? And we learned when we suffer in the flesh, when we deny our flesh, as it goes down, our spirit goes up, right? So when we deny what our flesh is seeking and desiring, our spirit ascends, right? So we become strengthened. And I think it's beautiful to read that, that he's reminding us, you're not going to suffer just because. It's with purpose. Christ suffered with purpose. He had a purpose for what he went through, the same as we do. If you go back, verse one, uh, chapter 1, this is not an idea that he just wants to say a little bit. In, in, it's, it's more, but I just gave one verse from each of the previous three chapters. In chapter 1, in this you greatly rejoice, that now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Chapter 2, coming to him as a living stone, rejected by men, 
but chosen by God and, and precious. Verse 14 of chapter 3, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. I don't know, when I read my Bible and I read things in repetition, I think he wants me to get the point, right? All right, we move on to verse 2. That, no long, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men. When I first read this, it's, you know, he who, who, who died in the flesh, the example is to cease from sin. And it can be a little bit confusing. One, Christ never sinned. So his death didn't bring about cease, his ceasing of sins. His death was so, that's available to us. And when it says that he no longer should live, that he being us no longer should live the rest of his time, it means dying to our sin, right? That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the lusts of men, but for the will of God. He wants us to take that example to this life that we live here now, dead to our sins and alive to the will of God. And I think about that because he was sinless and willing to suffer. We may have a slightly different response, right? We look at sin and, and I don't know, God's will, my will, right? That's pulling at us all the time. And when we, when we consider how he wants us to live, it takes effort. It takes remembrance of what he has done for us to die to ourselves over and over again. I wrote this down. It says, how many Christians grumble at their suffering? But our proper response to the suffering, and I'm actually just having this conversation, is to be drawn into repentance for our sinful hearts and drawn closer to him. He's our refuge. Not always our refuge when someone else is after us, but even ourselves, Right? Our response is available to us because of Christ, because we believe in him. We know that if we suffer, it's with purpose. Imagine those who are not. We're going to talk about that a little bit too. The unsaved people in our lives or the unsaved people that are out there that we may teach or we may touch. I have a quote. It says, the wicked rage at their suffering when their sin finds them out. You think about that. When I sin... I can't get mad at God. I, I can't say, well, God, why'd you let me do that? It was my choice. When people don't have God, they rage at their sin found them out. Now they know, now someone knows, and now I have a problem. We, we continue to have these two perspectives of what it means to be a believer and live with suffer, suffering, and then what it means, and I, honestly, I don't even remember. I can't even remember. But what perspective did I have as an unbeliever when I suffered? What perspective did I have? I, where did I go? We thought of this during COVID, for those of you who, you know, who were believers during COVID. What did people do? Right? They just freak out. What, the world's going to end. But we have hope. So then I think, and actually I want to I thank you guys who answered on the Instagram. I think uh, we had a bunch of answers that said, you know, does our suffering have a purpose? And I'm hoping you guys discuss that at the end again. But everybody answered a little bit something different. That was pretty cool. But it should produce something in us, right? On the other side of it, 
is the fruit that he's trying to grow in us. And then I think, hey, I, you know, I'm going to come to you. Would you like to, you know, hear about my faith? Would you like to be a Christian, Brandon? It involves a whole lot of suffering. It's not really much of a, uh, of a first line, right? Like, that's not really going to get us very far. But what will, what will get us very far is how we respond to suffering in our life and others watch us. So I'm not going to walk up and evangelize and say, would you like to come suffer with me? It's not really the best first line. But if they come to know him as we do, then they would see our response and how we live. We don't stop sinning, right? So we should be careful of that. That even as I, I say, you know, here we, you know, sort of an us and them thing, that's not true. We continue to sin until we're home. But it's how we live when we're in the spirit, when we are responding to him and how we repent. Again, we should be drawn into repentance because we may suffer for our own sins still now, but we should respond by seeking him, right? So now we get to the verse that sort of started it all, and a couple of you know what I'm talking about. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. We could, I could do this entire night talking about that. But some of you know that Kate and I have become uh, young adult leaders, I guess about three years ago, two and a half years ago. And God's had us on this path. He's had us on this path to love you guys so much, to, to, to see such awesome things happening in your generation. And as I stand here, it's like, I just want that to grow for you, right? And I read this, having lived this mistake, this really speaks to me. And a long time ago, before they asked that we take over leadership of this, this ministry, Pastor Lloyd had challenged some of us to Read a, read a particular book of the Bible and study it. This is it. This is my book. And as soon as I read this chapter, my mind was exploding with thoughts of how it applied to young adults right now, right? How it would have applied to me had I not been so foolish when I was younger. And I, I read it and I go, well, this, this is the Bible. This is old, right? That, that list of stuff, this was written 2,000 years ago. We don't have lewdness or lust. Well, hold on, what? Do we have lewdness and lust and drunkenness, revelries, drunk, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries right now? What? You guys don't know. Maybe you do, maybe you don't know. I was an atheist for most of my life, and the Bible seems so senseless to me and so old. I read that. That could be today. That could be right now. Use different words. Debauchery, right? doesn't matter. It's the same, the same idea. And we have a father, when I read that, and, and maybe, as many of you know, I'm, I'm used to teaching uh, where everybody responds. And I think of this and I go, God's saying this to me. We've spent enough time doing those things, right? And it, I love my dad. You know, he's not a believer. Please pray for him. But there were times I was, being a, I was messing around. I was doing stuff. And he would go, all right, that's enough, right? 
You guys ever have your dad not yell at you, but just be, all right, that's enough. That's enough. And when I read this, that's what I hear, is my father saying, all right, hey, that, that, that's enough, right? And we, we know it. I think somewhere in our hearts we know it. And I ask, do, do you really want it back? Right? I don't. I don't. And I, I, I thought about this, right? So many of us in this room and, and those of us who were not believers, you know, growing up, we've had that time that he's talking about. You've spent enough time. That implies that time was spent, right? I spent that time. We did these things, right? I, I would assume, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I've done these things, right? And God's telling me that's enough, right? Because I claim to be a Christian, he's, that's enough. I don't care where you are. And we're going we're to talk about, these are people living in a pagan world with crazy stuff happening around them, right? Sound familiar? He says that's enough. That you, you spent enough time. And probably too much time. Would you guys agree? Probably too much time. But now we're supposed to be different, right? And we're going we're gonna to keep talking about people's response to how we live. But I look at that list of sins and I say, well, that's not a complete list, right? That's a, that's a, that's a list of some pretty severe things. But you could probably take a book to stick and keep writing them, right? And I think... He, God means to tell us, that's enough of all of it, right? He's using examples of severe things. And the words that are chosen when I research them, the excesses of men, the things that happen when you let go of the reins of your life, right? And specifically in this time, they were actually all connected to rituals, to pagan gods. So you think about, excesses. Do I need these things? Do I want these? Why do I want these things? Why do I want to live like this? Right? It's certainly not for him. What I really love is that Peter says, for, for who has spent this much time? We have spent enough time. Peter doesn't, Peter's Peter. He doesn't come up there and go, you know, I'm, I've never done these things, but I hear you guys should stop. He says, we've spent enough time himself And maybe not in debauchery, but there were times when Paul had to go speak to Peter, be like, hey, man, what are you doing? Why aren't you eating with the Gentiles anymore? Because your buddies are here. Right? And you think of that. Peter admits, I'm broken too, just like you. But he's giving us, it's why I started off with who he was. Because he's telling us from experience. He wants to share with us what he's learned. And through him, God is teaching us this. And then we think of the response. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you did not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Uh, uh, Real quick, has anybody had that response from someone in their life? What's wrong with you? Why do you, I don't don't like this you. Your, my family, your family might be like, where, you know, can we have the other guy back? Maybe you've heard this, and I know Kate and I have. Are you guys in a cult? Are you, is that a cult? Why don't you come and, and, and drink until you're, you're blind drunk or, or make fun of those people or, or 
do those things with us anymore. And you can just say, because I choose not to, but it's still, what's the matter with you? The words that they use, it's, they're surprised. They're strange. This is strange. But why? It's, for me anyway, and for those of you who've, who will understand this, it's because you showed them a standard in your life that they created an expectation of your behavior, right? But now that we're Christians, it should be different. The expectation of our behavior, I want to surprise someone, well, I shouldn't say this. Like if you heard me curse, right? That's something God took away from me right away. I'd rather that be the surprising thing. Not, why weren't you out until two in the morning driving home drunk? Things I've done versus things I do now. I want to set a new standard for what surprises the people around me. And I think about, I have a note here about my college friends. You guys have any convenient friends? They like you because I used to be the guy with the car, be the guy with a little extra cash, be the guy who was willing to hook them up with someone, right? I was good to feed their sin. I was a good friend because I gave them what they wanted. And then when I didn't, you know how many of those friends I have today? Zero. But I, I don't want to give them those things, right? They would think it's strange to see me standing here right now, I have to tell you. But uh, all right, so to those people, and, I, and I'm going to make sure that we remember we were once those people. Truth used to be secondary, right? You think about, I think about these friends, I think about the, how our relationship used to be. It didn't matter, the truth didn't matter. It was fun. It was whatever we could have, whatever excesses we could have here. And I read this and it's, they, they're surprised in how you act. And then what's their response? They speak evil of you. So it's not good enough that you're just not friends anymore. Darkness hates the light, right? So now I'm going to speak evil of you to challenge you as a Christian. I don't know, man. It's kind of easier if I... I remember what that was like. Would it be so bad for me to do that again? I can tell you with absolute surety, yeah, it would be so bad to do that again because I would regret it because the conviction in my heart, right? I love what I learned about that word dissipation. God's word is so cool to me. If you guys don't read it, please read it more because... You read the word dissipation, you're like, who, who used that word dissipation? But when you read about it, it's wasteful or thoughtless spending or activities. And often refers to, because of the timing, a descent into drunkenness and sexual immorality, right? So God doesn't just throw a word in there and go, dissipation, right? This is, this is a word that's meaningful because I know times I've spent in my life that were wasteful, thoughtless, spent like an idiot, right? And descended into things that I should have never even been near. But we think about that. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge. This is verse five. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. 
I'm not going to have time to this. I, I've stumbled upon a theological uh, conundrum here. So we're not going to spend much time on that verse because there, apparently there's all this theological debate over what these verses mean about uh, who are the dead that are hearing the gospel. Uh, happy to talk to you guys about what I learned, but I think what I want to focus on here is Peter turns it to the preaching of the gospel to the people who don't know it, right? And I have two things I want to read. God's purpose for preaching the gospel is to have those who hear it live forever, rescued from death. It's his heart that people be set free. And Kate knows I love this, but it is not the purpose of gospel preaching to exempt the hearer of it from Christ's judgment, but to make clear that we will be judged as all men are judged. It is, in fact, the gospel's intent to prepare us for judgment, to meet Christ's judgment with assurance of acquittal. That's a cool quote. When we read that Christ is constantly intervening for us, that Satan is the accuser, we picture this court, right? Satan's over there. Every, the worst thing I've ever thought I've ever done, Satan's got, he's really good at his job, right? And Jesus is just standing there going, acquitted. Took care of it, right? The gospel isn't to tell other people how good we are. It's to tell other people how good God is for what he's done, right? And as I, you know, you have no idea the blessing it is to, have, to study this and, and prepare this message because it's, you get reminders. And a reminder of the power that the gospel has if we use it, Right? It's available to all of us, and we're going to, in a little bit, we're going to talk about the gifts that we are given. Verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. That beginning part, but the end of all things is at hand. I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm not going to go nuts, but things are a little nuts, are they not? Right? The world is weird right now. It's weirder than in my whole 50 years. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Does anybody remember? You think Peter's ever heard those words before? Be serious and watchful in your prayers. He was with Jesus. And Jesus says, guys, we're going to go here to this garden. Sit here. Pray. Be serious and watchful. Right? There were people coming for him. What was their response? They fell asleep. Peter was one of the guys who fell asleep. A couple times. So if Peter, the guy who stood there being told by Jesus himself, be watchful and serious in your prayers, if he's telling me through God's word here, I think I want to listen. Not because it's some Peter, somebody special, but it's because somebody who's failed at this, right? Jesus had been telling him for years, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, the son of man is going to die. He's, he's been walking with Peter. Peter didn't really want to hear it, right? He didn't know he's listened to him, but Jesus has been telling him a big, a change was coming. And then it did, right? Right after that moment when he said, be serious and watchful, the change came. So when I read this, it's like, well, he told me he's coming back, right? He told all of us, he's coming back. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. Maybe we should take that as good advice, right? As we spend our time in prayer, being serious, I think about, again, the being armed. Because being serious and, and uh, watchful in my prayers, 
it just reminds me that, you know, we as Christians should be prepared. We should go back to that word of being armed. But more than that, verse 8 goes on to say, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. For any of you, if anyone here serves, has served ever in any way, in a ministry, to help someone else as a Christian, Peter balances. He says, you, you will suffer for Christ's sake, but love one another with fervent love, right? But with that, I don't know. When I serve, it's very rewarding. And not in a way of like, look what I got, of just like, just a piece of a feeling of God's presence in my life. So when he says have fervent love for one another, he's talking about it has reward. It has blessing with it. But also, love will cover a multitude of sins. So we can say, well, when I serve, that feels really good. But what does cover a multitude of sins mean? It sounds a whole lot like forgiveness. You know what forgiveness looks like as love from us? It means let it be real. Let's actually forgive the person who's wronged us because we have a choice. And in light of the context, our suffering, our little inconvenience, our wrong by that person compared to Jesus, it's nothing, right? And if you sat here, because I know it's, it's happened for me, I've thought about those who I hold a grudge or those who I don't want to love. For what? Really, like think about it, like how petty we are in here, right? So you say, all right, well, love one another with fervent love, for love covers a multitude of sins, probably some of my own, right? My own unforgiveness. And I'd go further to say that covering a multitude of sins in love, and if you're like me, sometimes you have a hard time uncovering something that someone needs to hear about their sin in their life, right? Loving someone sometimes means uncovering something that you want to tell them that you see. But that's love. Forgiveness, I think, for a lot of us is hard. Um, we go on to verse 9. I'm, I'm going as quick as I can, man, because there's so much more. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. My favorite word in that verse, grumbling, right? Hey, I'd like to invite you over to eat and have some... Man, do you see how much they ate? They drank all of that too, right? They, had, they didn't even clean up. They walked in with dirty shoes, right? That's not hospitality. That's, I wanted a reward from you. I wanted recognition, right? When it says be hospitable to one another without grumbling, give of yourselves no matter the return. Not because you get something back, but because what you get back is a spiritual blessing in your life. And I can tell you that's the truth. I happen to love hospitality, but I can tell you we waste time grumbling about that. That's not real love if you say, well, I was going to give you something, but only so much, right? As each one, this is verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I found another word, manifold, right? 
until this, I didn't really know that definition. So now, thank you for letting me do this because I got to learn the definition of manifold. We're going to talk about gifts in a second, but being good stewards of the manifold grace of God. One, what do we do with his grace? But two, what is the manifold grace of God, right? Manifold means of many kinds, numerous, varied, having different parts, elements, features, or forms. Manifold only occurs a few times in the Old Testament. You want to know what the cool part is? The Hebrew word is rob. <laughs> I thought that was funny. But anyway, uh, whenever I teach, you guys get dad jokes included. Um, but there's a, a Greek word that also is poikilos, which means many colored. So God's grace to us is manifold. It comes in all kinds. It's many colored. And when something's many colored, it's beautiful, right? So in this room, I can think, I have to know that there is God's grace been delivered to so many different people in so many different ways, and that's beautiful. And now I, I, I want to share this. God's grace can be given in ways that we can never imagine. So I'll tell a story. You can, you can take a Christian family, right? They're good. They don't need God's grace. They're already Christian. Now you can, you can take the, the dad. He's, uh, he's vacant. He doesn't really read God's word. He's actually mostly self-focused and selfish. He's not learning what it means to be a husband. He's not learning what it means to follow God. He's just called himself a Christian, right? And I have a Christian family. He's not protecting his wife. He's not protecting his kids. That's what God's word says, but not doing it. All right, you take the wife. The wife tempted to escape, trapped by drugs and abuse. No escape. In a prison without a way out, and at times, even breaths away from her own death. You could take the children in that Christian family, and you could say, but what about them? The sins of their parents leaves them struggling to understand what's happening in their life. There's a storm all around them. Nobody's guiding them. They're watching their whole world on fire, right? So we could look at that Christian family and say, God, where is your grace, right? What does grace look like to all of those people? We'll tell you because that's us, right? God's grace in my life, God's grace in Kate's life, what his grace has looked like to my kids, I could never, never have explained that. I could never have expected that, right? But it's awesome. Because as I stand here, I tell you it's poikilos. It's beautiful. It's many colored. What he had for each one of us in my family was beautiful. And that is the manifold grace of God. So for each one of you, maybe you, you need his grace in your life. You never know, man. You never know. <laughs> All right. So how do we steward what we have received? Because it says be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's God saying, so what are you going to do now? Right? We think about that. I think about that all the time. But what am I going to do now? 
If anyone speaks, let him speak as to the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Use the gifts that he's given me, right? He's, he's allowed me to live this life. Let me use the gifts that he's given me. If, if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies, that in, that in all things God may be glorified. Kate shared this verse with me, and I want to share it with you. Colossians 3.11, we're all different. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. That's the point. Whatever we have to offer, we want to lay at his feet, that he may be glorified through Christ. So you might sit here and, well, (laughs) I was thinking, we were, Kate and I talk about this a lot because we are here because we were challenged to join young adults because we were like, what's up with the young people? They don't talk, right? And Pastor Allen said, "Uh uh-huh, what's up with you? Why don't you talk to them, right? I remind the older people, but I want to remind you, you're not aliens. Like, you're, you're, you're not somehow separate from the rest of our church. And each one of you comes here with a gift. And you might say, no, not, not, not me. God left me off his list. Nope. Every single person has a gift. And if you don't know what it is, find out. How? Step out, right? It might be praying. I don't know. It might be hospitality. It might be exhortation or encouragement, right? There's something that each one of you have. I challenge you. Find it out. Because you do. And that's not, that's not made up. That's what God's word tells me. That's what God's word tells you. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you read in Romans 12, for as many members, uh, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. If you read... Romans 12, verses 4 through 12, 13. It lists many of them. It lists, it's God's word telling us, you are born to be a part, if you're a believer, of his kingdom now. You have a gift for someone else here, for someone else out there, for his purpose and for his glory. So I want to encourage you in that. We come back to, I'm going to, I have to speed up. Beloved, This is verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Maybe in the beginning of our walk, weird stuff happens. Life gets hard and you're like, whoa, 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 this is strange. I thought being a Christian was easy and it was nice, right? Don't think it's strange. We have an enemy. Fiery trial, suffering's going to come. Once again, how do we respond? And I I think of, as you can tell, I'm a seasoned athlete, so I'll tell a sports story. If you're a backup quarterback, if you're a Christian of any kind, so if you're a backup quarterback, right, and you're sitting on the bench, you're still playing football, right? That guy gets hurt. It's your turn. You're going to get hit? You're going to get hit, right? Because you're in the game. Whether you're on the bench, you're, but he's, he's still there, right? We're still Christians. And I have to tell this story, and I'm going to go quick. I promise. When I was little, I played baseball, and I just joined baseball, and I got up to bat. First pitch, get hit in the knee, right? 
And man, I was like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. Someone come get me, right? So the coaches and everybody come get me. I was in the game and I got hit and it hurt. So they put me on the bench. And they put me, they gave me ice on my knee. Whew. All right, I'm not in the game anymore. I got hurt. I barely even got into the game. And uh, the innings change, and if anybody knows baseball, they toss the ball around a little bit, and it's time to throw the ball in. They call balls in. Well, one of the balls decides it's going to bounce into the dugout where I'm sitting and hit me in the eye. (laughs) And the the loudest laugh you hear is my wife. Uh, But what a picture it showed me is if I was still there. Why? I shouldn't be surprised. I'm still in the game. I was sitting on the bench, and I got... I saw my knee and I got hit in the face. And the, yes, the ambulance came and the whole thing. But um, when you're little, that wasn't so funny. But now it's funny. So we should not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. If Jesus was willing to go through what he went through, should we think it's strange that we would have any kind of even a shadow of that? No, of course not. If he's our example, why would we think it's strange? But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of the glory of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. He'll do it. Not you. Right? It says, the spirit of God rests upon you when you're reproached that he will equip you, and we can rejoice in our sufferings for him, we get to just get a little taste of what he did for us. But as we get to the end of that, on their their part, on whose part? On the ones who aren't listening, on the ones who are looking at our new life and thinking it's strange, on the ones who aren't hearing the gospel, This is where we get into the part. Our hearts should break for the person standing there on the other side that doesn't want to hear the gospel. And it breaks, I can think of several people in my life right now. But when we read these next verses, it it really gets me that how it should really break our heart. We're on Jesus' team now, but they're not. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. I'm going to stay there real quick one second. He puts murderer and gossiper like in relationship to one another. Like we can be like, oh, it's just, you know, did you hear what they did? You know, I'm not, I didn't kill anybody, but did you know what they did? Nope. Right? That's makes me laugh a little bit, but um, and we got to be careful that when we suffer as these things, not that we would be a murderer or a thief, or, but we could be an evildoer, we could be a gossiper. We got to be careful that we don't mistake righteous suffering, living for him in the persecution that we may suffer with correction from our father for what we've done wrong, right? Because he's a good father and he's going to discipline us. So, but don't confuse our, our sinful suffering for righteous suffering. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
he keeps bringing the gospel back into it. He keeps reminding us that we're here, right, suffering for his righteousness, but there's this other group of people that aren't, that are thinking it's strange of our life, that are, that are not listening to the gospel. But do we question ourselves, what will be their end, right? I don't know that it troubles me enough. What will be the end of those who don't want to hear it? But what this says, and it goes back to that quote of acquittal, judgment begins in the house of God. Paul told this to the Thessalonians, right? So Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he tells them, you guys are doing a really good job, really good job at what? Suffering. Second Thessalonians verses three through five, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because of your faith, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you abounds toward each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of our God for your patience and faith and persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Evidence of the righteous judgment of God that they are willing to live it out, right? And be judged as sinners themselves, but living a life that the Paul is saying, you guys are doing a really good job as an example to those around you. And I, I skipped over this, but if you guys aren't aware, when Peter was writing this, he was in Rome. Rome had burned down. Do you guys, does anybody know, you don't have to say it, but does anybody know why Rome burned down? Right? Because Nero wanted some stuff Politicians asked for some things to happen. I'd like some money put in my coffers, and they said no. So Nero said, well, I'm going to burn everything down, (laughs) right? Politicians don't do those things today, or maybe they do, but he didn't get his way, so he had Rome burned to the ground so that he could build a giant fortress and and, uh, big buildings in his name. And guess who he blamed? Christians. That's where we get Roman candle from, right, Max? Where they tied Christians alive to poles and lit them on fire to light the garden at night, right? This is Peter writing from a world that that exists in, right? And we can look around us and say it's crazy. That's crazy, right? But Christians were still, and when people question whether Christianity is real, Would someone live through that and not deny their faith if it wasn't, right? So I want to end with, oh my goodness, I want to end with, we can have a perspective of other people being worse. We can have a perspective of how how God would have judged those who are who were in the past, right? If you guys have ever read your Bible in the Old Testament, it's like, man, what was with those people, right? They were messed up. I want to read from Hosea. We're not Israel. I want to make that clear. This is, we are not Israel, but it's an example to us. This is from Hosea. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her paths. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. 
Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. I just want to write there, I wrote on the side, she wants to go back to the old things, right? This is a picture of the old, the people of Israel. I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than it is now. For she did not go, for, for she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. She wanted to go back to what she had, even though she was given a gift in the now, provided for her and, and took for granted who she got it from. And what is it? Judgment. Therefore, I will return and take away my grain in its time and my new wine in its season, and I will take back my wool and my linen given to her to cover her nakedness. Judgment will come. And Charles Spurgeon, when he's speaking of those verses in Hosea, of Old Testament Israel, I pray that you guys have the same perspective that, I, that it gave me. The first thing which causes astonishment is the great sin of the people. And the next thing, which is even more marvelous, is the great patience of God. I scarcely know which of the two things causes me greater surprise, that men should be so guilty or that God should be so gracious. Let us just transfer these thoughts to ourselves and see if we can, with any justice, cast a stone at those people who, in spite of such love, went so far astray. I read that. Don't forget who we are and where we came from. We got nothing to say to nobody, right? But we do have something to share. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. I reached the end. That's pretty good timing, all right. But I'm going to challenge you guys. So that, that last verse, those who suffer according to the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. I can guarantee you that those words, faithful creator, are true. Our God is faithful to us. He's been faithful to me more than I deserve. I'm going to guess if you're sitting here, you have some kind of a relationship with Jesus, right? I wrote, maybe you have a real strong walk. You're walking real close with Jesus, right? Maybe you're struggling to find your way back to Jesus. Maybe you think you're too far gone. And that's it, you're going to give up. And maybe you don't know Jesus and you just have a curiosity because someone has told you. Bottom line is if you're here, you have some kind of relationship with Jesus. You have every reason to go back to a life that you've lived before. But only one that you can choose to go forward. And for those of us who are leaders here, who, those of us who are older, I can tell you we may be further ahead on the, plas, but I can, on the path, but I can confidently tell you it is not worth it to go back. It's worth it to move forward. I asked this question. I'm actually going to ask Abby and Angela to come up. But I asked this question. Do you really want to be completely you? Or do you want to be completely found in him? I've said this many times when I've been up here before, but can we do this all the time? We're, um, we're not in a cult, right? We're not here to just have fun and hang out like once in a while on Thursday nights. And I hope you don't just want to play church. I don't think you guys do. All right, so I, what I did is I asked Angela if she would play a little bit. 
And I'm going to ask at this time, if, if you guys want to just hang your heads and pray for a moment with me. I'm going to ask a few questions. You respond. It doesn't matter. I just, as I read this, and I hope I've handled it at least a little bit to get across what um, God has been speaking to me, is I really hope that it challenges you to the life that you'll live as you go on from here, right? So I just want to, if, again, if we could just uh, close our eyes and pray together. Um, Lord, we thank you for uh, this time that we've been able to spend. Lord, I thank you that you would allow a fool to stand here and handle your word. Lord, I pray that you've uh, even spoken one little bit to even one person in this room. And Lord, if there's even someone here who has not known you, I pray that they would come to know you and that they would be convinced of a life lived with you being better than a life lived without you. But I want to challenge you, if you're here, and you have any kind of walk with Jesus, if you have any kind of desire to please our Father, that you would commit to stopping to look back so much, to stopping to wish that maybe things could be like they were before, but commit to move forward in him. That you would, you would say, all right, that's enough, God. I heard you say, that's enough, right? And this, again, you could be walking strong with the Lord, but you know you have to give him all of you. Or you could be, like I said, curious, but you know that there's something here for you. So I would ask that as Angela continues to play, if you want to just stand where you are and pray, that you want to commit to a life that is lived for him. That you say that's enough of what I've been doing before. And I don't mean that you had to have lived in all of those horrible words, but even that you just know that you've fallen short of the gifts he's given you and the purpose he has for you. So I would ask that if you would just stand to your feet now, anyone, and just... Lord, I, I just commit my life to you moving forward. I commit that I'm not just a young adult. I'm not just some other person who happens to be here tonight, Lord, but I'm your child and I have a purpose. So I just ask that you would do that now.